As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is Christy, and I'm here with my friend, Matt. What up, CP? How are you? Good. I just went on a rant, and uh, it always gets my heart rate going. <laughs> I got some cortisol flowing through my veins, and so I'm feeling good. I like your rants, good. though. They're good. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, how are, this you, how are you? I'm, well, yeah, I don't. I'm okay. We Why got you- some... What's going yeah, on in your house, um, Listen, I, and this isn't meant to like. I don't want people to like send me emails or whatever or <laughs> letters about what I should or should not do. But we have COVID <laughs> in our house, <laughs> um, and we were vaccinated. We were vaccinated. And we still got it, um, and now my little people who are not vaccinated are are getting it. And we, I have this like, the basement has become this place where I'm constantly taking care of sick kids and um it's just sad they're they're just miserable and my mama heart is like you know i don't want them to get too sick so right there's a lot going on here but right but we are recording this and the day that this this podcast is coming out is my son's 14th birthday oh my goodness and he's he's starting high school um as a freshman and you guys What in the world? How do I have a high schooler? It's bananas. And I'm just really hoping that he doesn't get sick so that he can start high school um, yeah. and, you know, be in his first soccer team uh, game, whatever. So all of these things because of stupid COVID. Hate stupid COVID. COVID. I do too. Ugh. Ugh. So listeners, if you're listening and you want to write me about what I should or should not have done, please oh just don't. You can just say a prayer for me instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Chrissy well, you haven't even told us what you did or didn't do like you know it's not like uh, you know no I mean what I'm, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is like I was I was vaccinated and, and Alexander who has COVID was vaccinated he still got it We're even though we got the <sighs> shot we still are getting it so now my friends who are kind of 
you shouldn't have gotten vaccinated have a lot to say to me and I I can't handle that. And then the people who, (laughs) you know, anyway, it's like both all my friends are kind of like have something to say to me. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not answering the phone anymore. Yes. People, people don't get the vaccine are like, well, this is why you shouldn't have got the vaccine. And people who have the vaccine are like, well, did you go through my 34 point checklist of how to stay away from COVID? Yeah. Uh, Yes. 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 I I feel judged. So anyway. Yep. It's what it is. It's what's happening in the Penley household today. All right. Well, I mean, and you're sort of sequestered here in your little room. <laughs> I am. O- I'm away. upstairs. I'm like, let's keep doing podcasts. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. well, um, I don't think, Christy, um, you were on this one, right? Like this was I was not. Ben and I, but no. we had our we had our friend Mark Scandret back on the podcast, and we get to bring you that today. We are chatting about um his new book. He wrote a new book on the Beatitudes, and it is unlike any book on the Beatitudes I've ever read. It's incredible. I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, and Mark is um, Mark's one of the guests, and um, he's one of the guests that after we get done recording, he's always like, let's just keep talking. How are you? What's going mm-hmm. on with your life? Um, and so as you listen, just know um, that the time I've gotten to spend with Mark, which hasn't a lot, but the time I have got to spend with him, uh, he is a dear person and seems to actually love other humans. Isn't that nice? It's really good. <laughs> it's really it's good. It's really good to have people like that shepherding, uh, caring for you, loving on you, leading you. Yeah. And and again, this is like one of those smaller books that is easy to read and make sure you listen to the end of this podcast because Mark leads us through how to pray through the Beatitudes and he prays and we all prayed together. It was gorgeous. Mm, I love it. So good. It is. Christy, you are, um, are you pulling together another cohort? Yeah, well, I'd love to. Um, I'm (laughs) doing one right now on Thursday nights, which man, those people are gems. I love it. Anyway, um, mm. but there's a couple people who are interested in having a cohort in the middle of the day during their lunch hour. And so if that's you, if you're listening and you are interested in being a part of our cohort year long, um, honestly, outside of Jesus and counseling, it's been the most effective thing in my life. Yes, <laughs> this right? is not a commercial, but truly, <laughs> like I, I speak about it because um, the Lord used it in big, big mm. ways um, in my life. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, please reach out because uh, right now we have two and we're looking for some more if lunchtime is your time and your jam. Yeah, I, I just, um, the last cohort that you started, a uh, number of people, we were like, well, we've got this other cohort that's starting. Would you like to be in that? And they're like, no, we want to be with Christy. Aww, <laughs> so, so anyway, kind. Yep. All right. Well, uh, stay safe, stay healthy. <laughs> I'm going to go put my mask on and go help take care of my kids. Yeah. Uh, uh, Also, we don't need to hear any uh, research about if masks work or not. Right, Christy? You don't need to hear that. Please don't. Please don't. I shouldn't even say that. Edit that out. I do not need to hear anymore. Um, Oh, man. uh, All right. Well, uh, well, let's, let's get into it, eh? Yeah. All right. Here's Mark. Mark Scandret, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. 
Great to be with you, Matt. Yep. Uh, Mark lives in San Francisco. He is executive director of Reimagine, a center for integral Christian practice. He leads workshops worldwide. I've been to an Enneagram workshop that Mark led. Um, And he also serves on the creative team for Nine Beats Collective. Mark, anything else we need to know about you? You know, you you tell me. (laughs) Uh, Well, I know you have children. I know they're grown, right? Yep. We all live together in an old Victorian building in San Francisco's Mission District. Yeah. And And how um, old are your kids? 27, 26, and 24. Are they, are they married? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> They'd all love to be in a relationship. <laughs> so, wait, but we raised them, we raised them like unicorns. And so it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're so special. That's awesome, man. So, um, I, so anyway, uh, a few last year, right as quarantine happened, actually, I led an online Zoom group through uh, one of your books, Belonging and Becoming, oh, about yeah. parenting. Yeah. yeah. And we, I don't know, we had no idea that the pandemic would hit in the middle of this discussion. Um, but that's a book you wrote, what, 15 years ago, 10 years no, ago? No, 20, 2015. 2015? Came, came, oh, okay. Uh, came out in 2016. In fact, Indianapolis was the first place I ever talked about it. Really? Yeah. First I book, don't know why. First book event. Indianapolis. That's great. That's great. Um, well, here's my question for you. What, I mean, just as in terms of being a dad of adult children who live at home, like what was the biggest pivot for you to learn how to relate to your kids, not as kids? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an ongoing conversation that really starts happening when they're, they're preschoolers is we're in this, we're in this exchange between my leadership, you know, or our, our parental guidance and then moving towards um, more interdependence and autonomy. So we were having these conversations all along the way. Hey, you're, you're, you're six. You can probably do your own laundry or um, Hey, you're, you're eight or 10. I I think you could, if you want to, you, you could cook dinner tonight. Um, you know, Hey, why don't we give you a little bit of, uh, the family finances to manage at least your clothes and like birthday money for your friends and things like that. So we've, we just keep having those conversations and I still, I still do. And it's probably even more important because we're, um, sharing housing with, we, we share a flat with one of our kids and then the other two live in a separate apartment, but we have to talk through. You know, how much time do we spend together? You know, uh, what, you know, when probably the biggest, if it's a really directly answer your question is I've, my biggest curve, uh, learning curve on this is learning that I, to just ask questions and listen and not give my opinion (laughs) on everything. (laughs) and just go i'm watching you make your own choices and i had to learn a lot of things in life uh, by trial and error so i can see things but it's not my job to point them out to you anymore yes mark i'm i'm struck by i think i've learned this from you and your book and you, you and your wife lisa um figuring out how to empower my kids with as much agency as they can possibly handle um, as early as they can possibly handle it. 
So one of the things I think um, I've I've innovated and maybe even learned directly from you, but I know it's based upon your writing and your work, is to include our kids in their the consequences for things that they do wrong, so that they have some agency and some power in deciding what are the consequences for this choice that I made, and how do I uh, repair. Uh, or what privilege do I give up as a consequence for what? And 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 when the when when my kids get a chance to contribute to that, um, every, like, things change. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we have you know like a typical example in our household would be um, decisions about the conditions of the kitchen and the bathroom. I don't know why. I don't know why, but the kitchen is the place of most of our conflict, <laughs> and. So it's been really helpful to have family meetings and say, how would we like these spaces to be? And instead of dictating, put the dishes in the dishwasher or whatever, like it's an open conversation about what, what are people's needs and desires. And we need to come up with uh, a strategy so that everyone can feel peaceful. Okay, so I, I'm writing down right now on my white pad here. This is the source of the most conflict in my family is the loading and the unloading of the dishwasher. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my kids, we had these ma- we had this magnet system where cuz every one of them wants to unload the top rack because the bottom rack they have to put silverware away. Yeah. So the top rack is the sweet less work sort of tier yeah. and they're supposed to switch their magnets when they do every time they do it so that they rotate. Yeah. And if the if the magnet gets forget to switch or one of them like sneaks switch the magnet without doing it, they just lose their biscuit on yeah. each other. And then, you know, the way that my, uh, my wife and I handle them yelling at each other is, of course, to yell at them. So, uh, I, th- I, wonder, I wonder what a conversation could be. Um, maybe over dinner. Yeah. Just asking them, how should we do this dishwasher thing? Yeah. See, yeah. What, see what happens. I'm going to crowdsource it. My, and then my, I will- my kids put tape on the counter, and they're like, I'm responsible for whatever dishes I used. And so... That's your space. This is my space. And you, by the end of the day, that needs to go away, either in the dishwasher or by hand wash or whatever. They 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 sort of figured it out. Yeah, they got it. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, we could chat about belonging and becoming, uh, <laughs> which I'm still uh, learning from and integrating in my life. But you've written a new book that I want to share with our listeners. Yeah. It's called The Ninefold Path of Jesus. Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. So, I have a question about the path. Mm-hmm. You've been you've been interested in Christianity as a way mm. for a long time. Um, and my question for you, Mark, is why? Wow. <laughs> um, well, I I think for two reasons. One is early on. I was embarrassed about the difference between the way Jesus lived and the way I and my my co-religionists live and and just deeply desire to want to close that gap. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's clear from the New Testament Jesus thought it was possible for us to live like him yeah. and ex- and see the world and act act according to his his uh, act, act in coherence to reality the reality of the kingdom of God. So that's one reason. But the other is, um, for me, just believing the 
the right things or practicing Christian rituals, worship and devotional things didn't magically change my life and make me a better person or make me feel more peace inside. Mm. And so I'm, I'm just desperate for life to experience fullness of life and greater peace and joy and contentment. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think in, in the, in Western Christianity, we've tended to emphasize the raw outline of Jesus life. He was born this is who he, his identity is, the son of God, and he died and came back to life. Yeah. And um, it's very past future focused, but Jesus was now focused, present focused, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, here's how to live life with God in the here and now. And so that's, so it is something to practice, something to, to learn to, to see and live better in that story. Yeah, I think I can relate to that. The the promise that was given to me about thinking the right things or saying the right things or even doing some religious things that would then create this right cocktail, the spiritual cocktail that would uh, sprinkle the Jesus dust on me Mm -hmm. and I would transform. Um, And I think, uh, you know, your work has been punctuated by this for for years is that uh, Christianity is this way of living that Jesus inhabited and passed on to us. So as you as we turn our attention to this book, I, I'm curious, I, this is one of the most creative treatments of the Beatitudes I've ever come across. How did this come to be? When did you begin to approach and see the Beatitudes in the way your book approaches them? Yeah, so there's a, uh, in 20, the short answer is in 2015, uh, a group of friends in London with a project called Nine Beats approached me and said, we we read your book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. We love how you created pra- practice paths around um, the frame of the Lord's Prayer. And we, we think the Beatitudes have something to say, particularly to emerging generations in the 21st century. Hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm in. But the other thing that was going on for me at the time was I wanted to create a resource that would give um, set a vision for what, like a, a way to articulate what is the Jesus way, you know, it, and um, when they asked me into the project, I told them a story. I said, you know what, this reminds me, what you're asking me reminds me uh, years ago, I got to know a Zen Buddhist priest. And in one of our early conversations, uh, he I asked him, when you wake up in the morning, what do you seek to do and be as someone who is on the, on your path? And in about four minutes, he told me about the f- Four Noble Truths and then the Eightfold Path and said, this is what I wake up every day to set my intentions on. And I thought, wow, that's so clear. And then he asked, he actually turned to me and said, Mark, as someone who identifies as a follower of Jesus, when you wake up in the morning, what do you seek to do and be? And at first, I thought this was my chance to talk about how I became a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then I realized that's not the question. And that gets at that past future orientation of Western Christianity. Yes. His question was present focused. So I said, well, I, I wake up in the morning. I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. 
And I sort of patted myself on the back, like good recovery, Mark. But it haunted me because his answer was more specific and it felt like there were tangible things he could do with it. It, I agree with that. Love God, love your, love your neighbor. I think, but that's a, that's like a 20,000 foot. Yeah, yeah. So high up there. So, um, I mixed with that mixed with that story. I, I was, uh, Dallas Wode was a major influence on me and he would often say the sermon on the Mount is like Jesus curriculum for Christ likeness. Yeah. We should really pay attention to this, but it's 110 verses. There's a lot of different kind of teaching techniques going on there. And so sh- short of just memorizing it and meditating on it, I was looking for a way to, in a, sim- in a simple way, say, the, this is the invitation of the gospel to human experience. Hmm. And so I'm probably doing something that Matthew didn't intend to when he wrote, when, when he compiled that, but, yeah. but, um, but it's, it's, the goal was for me to, to make simple a vision of life in the kingdom of God. Respero is a nonprofit organization that trains people to become lay counselors. To participate, you join a cohort led by a Respero founder, Joe Bishop, and participate in two courses. Respero seeks to bring hope and healing to broken people through life-giving conversations. If you're interested, check out the first course, Understanding People, on the Respero website. If becoming a counselor isn't for you, consider the course or lessons that Respero offers. Courses like Understanding Yourself help you dive deep and understand what makes you tick. Lessons like Codependency, Grief, Anxiety, and Spiritual Abuse can help provide guidance and solutions for tricky situations. If you're interested in learning more about how to be a Respero counselor or taking a course, check out the website at Respero, R-E-S-P-E-R-O.org. You can also find them on social media at Respero Restoring Hope. We hope you will join with Respero on its mission to bring healing conversations and hope to local communities across the country. Yes. Uh, Respero is uh, uh, sponsoring in part uh, this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. And I was just talking, Matt, mm-hmm. with Joe Bishop, oh, yeah. uh, the founder of Respero. I just, just uh, mentioned, mentioned him. You just mentioned him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was saying this um, that I didn't know. I didn't realize this. That he was saying that only twelve percent of churches have a well thought through plan for how to respond when someone in their congregation seeks help for mental, emotional, or relational problems. Oh boy! And uh, only th- that's that's not very many. That's not for, that's not a very high number. Twelve percent. Yeah, only twelve percent. Hmm. And so part of uh, part of uh, what Joe was telling me, part of what Respero can do is actually so. Sometimes people refer them to professionals, and there's some problems that probably need professional therapists. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of stuff that the church can actually embrace and take on through the use of lay counselors. Yeah. Um, And um, and so there's oftentimes, and the the other problem oftentimes with referring out to professionals is that um, it's kind of like subcontracting your most important work, and you don't really know what's happening. You know, there's no there's no follow up. There's no accountability. So part of what Respero can do is um, 
is train people in your church. If you're a pastor listening to this, people in your church can be trained to be lay counselors and Respero provides the training. They also provide some accountability. There's um, a community uh, of lay counselors mm-hmm. that, that are trained uh, through Respero. So anyway, there's a lot of gifted people probably in your church who can do great work with hurting people. Yes. Um, they just need to be trained and supervised. So we're glad that Respero is helping to sponsor this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. And if that sounds interesting to you, I recommend you check it out. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Each chapter, you take a beatitude, and each of the beatitudes is broken down into, there's nine practices that you tether to the way the beatitude, like, shines forward. Um, but, but one of the most helpful things that you do, Mark, is that you name sort of the, uh, I don't know what the antonym to beatitude is. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cursitude? I don't know. Yeah. Cur- Cursed are those who are anxious. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's a, there's a curse. There's a way of life that's cursed. Yeah. Maybe. That's cut off from the kingdom that you name in each chapter. That I think is, um, I don't know, I, I thought it was like one of the best, as I read that, I thought this this may be one of the most impactful evangelistic tools I've ever read, like in the 21st century, mm-hmm. naming sort of the, the life apart from the kingdom mm-hmm. that we all experience, and then tethering maybe... Uh, uh, salvation to the teachings of Jesus in very tangible ways. So, so for instance, the, let's just take the first beatitude. Yeah. Uh, blessed are the poor, right? Um, you, uh, how would you, how would you describe then the, uh, the life apart from the beatitude and how the beatitude calls us into a way of living distinct from that? Yeah. So, just to just to reiterate what you were saying there, uh, I call I, I, the the framing idea is that there's first instincts that we have, yes, yeah, and then chosen a chosen posture for life. So I think the Beatitudes represent they name nine first instincts that all we have as human beings, and many of these are rooted in the biology of our brains, and they were necessary for our survival. Our our immediate responses to the challenge of being embodied beings. But if we stay in them, they become toxic. And so there's, um, so there's, so the first one, you know, blessed are the poor. What does it mean to be poor? It's when you feel like you don't have enough or you're not enough. Something is lacking. And, we f- when we feel that like we don't have enough, our first instinct 
is anxiety or a closed-handedness, a white-knuckling of life. Worry, anxiety, striving, hurry. Um, and that posture, though, it kept us alive, right? Uh, at birth, like we cried out we, we out of that lack. And fortunately, someone was there to soothe and care for us. But if we stay in that first instinct, you know, it becomes, anxiety becomes really toxic to us. And so there's the, I think when, when you look at the bulk of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, it's clear that Jesus is inviting us from that posture of scarcity and anxiety to a posture of trust, trust in our, our creator's care, a sense of openness and interdependence that we receive what we need um, and that we sh- we share what we have with one another, and that when we feel when we feel like we don't have enough, we we ask, we seek, we knock for what we for what we need. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount about this. Do not worry about your life. Um, ask, seek, knock. Right. So yes. those are all invitations to move from that uh, primal anxiety to an open handedness and. Yeah, so I for, I forgot that you named it as first instinct. So sort of as biological hardwiring mm-hmm. to keep us alive. Yeah, right. These are, these are the right. Is that how you'd say? Yeah, it? and some of them are actually rooted in our biology. You know, like there's a there's a chemistry that happens when when I feel in danger. You know, it, it's triggers in my amygdala, and I my heart rate goes up and. Like I, I lose access to my prefrontal cortex, so we don't we don't think very well when we're in that state, either. And so there are practices that we need that will help us to live in trust. Yeah. So like that's that's okay if I'm being chased by a tiger mm-hmm. and carrying my two year old in my arms, right? So that's yeah. that's not something that necessarily I want to turn off. I want to get away from that tiger. The issue is if I live my life fleeing a tiger. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so then the be- go ahead. No. Um, well, then the beatitudes then are calling us. So, I, I, what I, what I'm, what, why, why I said this was so creative is that what Jesus is saying is, you aren't simply, you aren't simply bound to this biological, instinctual hardwiring, mm-hmm. but but the the life in the kingdom and the life uh, imparted to you by the Spirit actually draws you. Uh, how how would you say it draws you into a more fuller a f- more full human existence? I I like to say almost like like we could call it the higher consciousness of the kingdom of God. So mm-hmm. I might feel like I don't have enough, <laughs> but my awareness is limited, and so I need to expand my awareness to recognize the ways I'm being provided for, the possibility that nothing can separate me from what is most essential to my well being. Um, su- not suffering, not even death can separate me from what's most essential to my thriving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have this mind about you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a way in which our, the eyes of our heart are enlightened and we're able to see beyond like, uh, brass tacks of, yeah. of a sort of biological instinctual and life. I, I like to think that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's synonymous with reality. Like just read through the gospels sometime and just replace the word kingdom with reality. Reality is. And so 
if uh, th- let's just say Jesus had a way of seeing and interacting with the world that was accurate to reality. Yes. And he, from that perception, wants to help us to see the world and respond to the events of our life from that accurate place of reality as well. Yes. That's beautiful. Um, so I don't, I don't want to double click on every single beatitude because I, I think um, I want people to be able to read this and, and um, save some of that for that. But um, as I read, I was struck by, um, for instance, my bias towards meekness. Mm. Uh, you, you define meekness, uh, I think, cleverly in this book. And I, I realize that f- I have this prejudice against meekness, and I, it lives in me, Mark, even though I know it's untrue. Whereas meekness is some kind of self-recrimination or self-abasement. Um, but you you talk about meekness differently. Um, I think then is maybe normal for a lot of Christian environments I've been in the past. Could you just teach a bit on meekness? Yeah. So, you know, the beatitude is blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And um, I, I relate this to what in psychology is called social comparison theory. How do we develop a, our sense of who we are? And social comparison theory would say, We develop it by comparing ourselves to others, ourselves to others. Who's who's the tallest, the strongest? Matt, do you remember? I started doing this when I was three or four, four or five years old. Do I run faster or does my friend run faster? Who's catching on to reading sooner? Who's better in math? Who can can play t-ball with more skill? Who, who's more b- better looking, whose family has a nicer car, right? And so we either, we tend to either think of ourselves as greater than or better off than, superior to, or we think of ourselves as less than. Yeah. And what it ends up doing is we either strive to get on top or in certain areas of life, we, we stop competing and we go, I'm I am, I am less than, and we assume that lower position. Basically, it's a hierarchical view of, of, um, of worth. And so what I see in the teachings of Jesus and in his example with how he related to people is that he had an accurate sense of who he was, uh, beloved, made in God's image, and that if we can embrace that, because because the problem with developing our sense of self based on um, our comparative Social performance yeah. is that there's always going to be somebody who beats us out, and then we go to that low position, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, and so is it's not a reliable way to develop a sense of identity, and it's particularly challenging. I mean, you and I, you and I are both white males and we struggle with this and when we're societally at the top of the food chain it's particularly even more challenging if you're female or from a marginalized marginalized by race or or by some other identifier and so we need uh we need a way of, of valuing ourselves that's not based on comparisons and i think the whole of scripture says 
that our truest sense of identity is as being made in the image of God, beloved, and having inherent dignity and worth. And not about what I do or how I perform, but it this is something that cannot be taken from me. Yes. And to learn to live in that and then develop a lifestyle and inter- the, a way of interacting with others that comes out of that secure sense of self. So connect then for us how meekness relates to that sense of, of self-worth. Yeah. Well, I think Aristotle would have said something like, meekness is strength under control. He liked kind of doing these sort of continuums. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think the great picture we have of this is Jesus with his disciples uh, at the last supper. He's the great rabbi takes off his outer garments and starts washing their feet. They lived in the false hierarchy of greater than and less than. So it's not right for the great teacher to wash my feet because I'm nothing in comparison to the great teacher. And so Jesus is challenging that by saying, actually, you you don't know who you are. You are valuable enough for me to wash your feet. This is not Mm -hmm. an act of um, like, you know, feeling sorry for you or stepping down off my pedestal for you. We're, we're on an equal plane. I want you to come up here and play with me. You're Mm -hmm. the fourth member of the Trinity, you know, like, (laughs) and I mean, you know, John, the body of Christ, John makes that really clear. But so, (laughs) so Jesus had flexibility that came from his accurate understanding of identity. So he did let people wash his feet sometimes. And he also washed others' feet. So there's this mutuality that comes from equality. Yeah. And and John even, I think, in that passage signals to us that Jesus is doing this from a sense of self-worth. Because he says, uh, Jesus, knowing all things have been given into his hands by the Father, and he was going back to the Father, and he'd come from the Father. Mm -hmm. So there's like this, this triumvirate of Jesus being the most secure person who ever lived, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> was able to serve. Yeah. Yeah. So some questions, I, you know, some practices that flow out of this. Yes. Some, some of us need to do some aff- affirmations. And in live settings, I'll have people, I say, put your hand on your heart. Um, that's the posture. And, and put your hand on your heart and bow, bow forward. That's the posture of true humility. And uh, I'll say, say this, say, I'm made in God's image, a creature of infinite dignity and worth. Now turn to the person next to you, look in their eyes and tell them, you're made in God's image, a creature of infinite dignity and worth. And most of the time when we do this, and sometimes we'll combine it with washing each other's feet, it's really hard for most people to receive those words. I mean, I think the whole of Scripture points to the truth of them, but we struggle to believe they're true about us. Yeah, And um, I think it's an audacious invitation to move from that old instinct of competition into, into affirming true worth. Yeah, this is the power of this book, uh, Mark. I mean, it's uh, relatively short. You could probably read it 
uh, long Saturday afternoon. Uh, but what's the power of it is that these aren't abstract principles you're teaching. They're not sort of uh, replace wrong thinking with this right thinking, but rather there's a real integrative approach here of, of an embodied, like embodied knowledge. So, so for each of these beatitudes, you have this first instinct, then this kingdom reality that that the beatitude is uh, calling us into, mm. and then you have these practices, and usually there's like three or four of them that are embodied demonstrations of trust in the beatitude that get us brains on a stick, enlightenment mm-hmm. people into our actual physical bodies. Yeah. What are you doing this to us for? Like, <laughs> well, part of it, part of it, it's very like I, I, I've told a few other people, um, like this. I've tried to make this really simple and easy to read, but it comes it with the, 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 the behind that simplicity is a real desire to have a, a appropriate adult um, approach to learning. So, as adults, we need to we need to we need to have a stake in it. It's not just about information. It's got to prick our hearts and and relate to pain points in our lives. So each each chapter has an animating question. Um, And those are human questions. You you don't even have to be a Christian to to have a good answer to those to each of those animating questions. They're just we're talking about human experience and how we are being invited into a more accurate way way of seeing and being. Yeah, this is what I meant by evangelistic. I mean, I know that's kind of a dirty word, but I think that I think that you you've made the beatitudes human. And and they speak to fundamentally human needs and problems and concerns and responses that I think then uh, if you know if you're human, you can connect to it. And then what it does is it also tethers here's how Jesus uh, here's here's the Jesus way of resolving or or moving through these these issues, mm-hmm. and I think it's I think it's brilliant. I mean, I need it as a Christian, and uh, as I read it, I thought um, I don't know any of my neighbors who don't believe in Jesus who wouldn't immediately see the the benefit yeah. and the goodness in what you've written. So it's it's really great. It's really great. I, while I was writing this book, I um, you know writing's a, a chore. Like you you just sit. You put your butt in that chair, and for eight hours, you're for me, you know, on a deadline. And so I, I, uh, f- uh, some friends of mine were traveling through California on a campaign, and I was like, I, I, w- I was looking for an excuse to procrastinate. So I ended up, I ended up at a fundraiser in Hollywood at a uh, a well known couple's house, and there's a lot of um, screenwriters and uh, actors there, and they asked me about what I was doing, and I told them I was re- writing this book. And I started talking through the Beatitudes. And I said, like, the second one is bluster those who mourn. And I said, you know, you know that tendency we have that when when we face pain in our lives and we want to run, we want to turn away from it, not look at it, and we seek to numb out or escape from it. The wisdom of Jesus here is to actually face our pain, to grieve, lament, mourn, complain. Uh, with the hope that if we have the courage to face our pain instead of running from it, that a true sense of solace is possible. And as I'm talking, like I'm, you know, 
the screenwriters nodding at me and being like, I totally do that. I totally numb out. I totally try and escape. And uh, we went kind of beatitude to beatitude. And they're like, he's like getting more and more excited Mm. about what the beatitudes point us towards. Yeah. That's kind of fun. That is super fun. Um, As we wind down here, Mark, uh, you you mentioned you had a way of praying through the Beatitudes, and I'd love if you'd lead us in that. But before we get to that, was there a Beatitude that as you studied it, as you dug into it, like legitimately surprised you or or met you in a crucial place in your life at that time? Yeah, yeah. there's a little appendix in the book that's about how the beatitudes and personality relate to each other. Um, you know, as yeah, any Enneagram stuff. Yeah. And I, I teach a doctoral course at Fuller on Enneagram and, and there's nine Enneagram types and nine beatitudes. It's very convenient, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that based on personality, we each find some aspects of the higher consciousness of the kingdom of God, either more easy to access or more difficult to access. So as I've been um, working, working with the Beatitudes the last five years, there's obviously a few that are real challenge for me to, to embrace. I think partly based on my personality type. So it's easy for me to mourn, not easy for me to be resilient in the face of suffering. And so probably the one that stood out most to me is where um, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or justice for theirs is the kingdom. And I think in that he's saying, you know, um, sometimes it feels good to do good, but sometimes you do the right thing and you're going to get punished for it. So what will you do then? Will you, will that, will you let it stop you in your tracks or will you, you, you keep going and so I just uh, feel really invited to not get paralyzed by the re- resistance and difficulties I face in life and to realize I'm, suffering is, is part of the human experience, that it's, we're part of a larger cosmic struggle between good and evil, and that um, I can either complain about it and fester <laughs> and vent about it, or I can learn to surrender to the things that are that are difficult for me and find a resiliency and a way through realizing that God is here with me and I'm I'm moving through that. So yes. that one really speaks to me. Uh that speaks to me too. I think we're the same Enneagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, are you um you did mention before we hit record that you have a way of praying through this, a way yeah. of reciting the Beatitudes. Would you would you lead us in that? Sure. And before I do, I'll just say, um, you know, this is not so much a book as an experience. And so I really do hope readers will pick it up and um, not, and I think most most of the time we were more able to move towards light and love in community. And so I hope people will will work to re- read through this and work through some of the practices together Um the, I actually created a very robust study guide for this three or four years before the book came out. It's called the mm. Ninefold Path Lab, and uh, I'd really encourage people to check that out. It can be found at ninefoldpath.org, and it's a great companion to this book. So, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the Beatitudes and then, um, and then mention a posture to try that I think is, is the response for us. So Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our first instinct is towards worry and anxiety, but Lord, lead us in the way of open-handed trust. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Our first instinct is to numb out and seek escape from what's hard or painful. But this beatitude invites us to sit with pain and to, to feel the feelings. So, Lord, lead us in the way of lament. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our first instinct is try to build our sense of self on competition and comparison. But this beatitude invites us to hand to heart, acknowledge our inherent dignity and worth, and, and, to, and to see and honor that in, in others. Lord, lead us in the way of humility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. It's easy to look out on a world that's so broken with so much pain and division in it and throw our hands up in resignation. But this beatitude invites us to own our power, to recognize that we are the light of the world, that we get to participate in making the world what was made to be. And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray the prayer uh, with arms crossed as in an acknowledgement of our power. Lord, lead us in the way of justice. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We are wired to see things in terms of good and evil out, out there and in us. And when, when someone missteps or we misstep, we feel judgment, a sense of shame. Somebody needs to be punished. But this beatitude invites us to learn to look at ourselves and others through eyes of mercy or compassion. So we're invited to live and pray, Lord, lead us in the way of compassion. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Our first instinct is to hide ourselves, um, to protect ourselves, to, to wear a mask or what psychologists call a persona. And Jesus is with this beatitude inviting us to take off our masks, step out into the light, and allow God's, God's light to heal and transform us. And so we're invited to live and pray the prayer, Lord, lead us in the way of right motive. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Our first instinct is to think in terms of us and them, my family, my tribe, my sports team, my country, and with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us to acknowledge that we're all part of one big family, the family of God, and to reach past those differences, to connect. So we're invited to live and pray the prayer, Lord, lead us in the way of peacemaking. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or justice. Our first instinct is to rant and complain and fight back when we're mistreated. 
And this beatitude invites us to nonviolent resistance, to surrendering to suffering and struggle, knowing that we're part of a, a greater cosmic battle between good and evil. And so Jesus is inviting us to live and pray the prayer, lead us in the way of surrender. And finally, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Anybody who tries to follow the Jesus way is going to encounter misunderstanding, resistance. If you follow the Jesus way as far as he did, you're going to end up suffering. And so to keep open to love, we have to overcome our fear, fear of death, fear of non-existence, to die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and to follow in the hope that life comes after life. And so this beatitude invites us to stretch out our arms as if we're submitting ourselves to to, to the cross and to live and pray the prayer. Lead us in the way of radical love. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. So great to be with you, Matt. Yeah, you too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.